0: So those of you that have been here two weeks ago, uh, we kind of began this process by announcing that things or that times, they are a-changing. Things are different. Things are are happening. We are out. We have outgrown this little space and we are in the process of moving. And just to give you a picture of how that played out, when we planned it a few years ago, when we moved into the space, we knew that the space was going to be a short-term solution. We knew that it was going to be too small for our Growing congregation, to be able to hold our kids, even to be able to hold all of us at the same time. And so we knew that this was a temporary move, but it was a really important and strategic move for us. Because number one, we felt like the Lord was leading us here. And two, we felt like in order to truly establish a presence in this neighborhood... We wanted to be visible, and we felt like that was a really important part of our uh, kind of DNA. We had been meeting at Will Rogers Theater right down the way there, but moving into a, a more of a permanent location gave visibility to our neighbors to say, "Look, we want to be here for the long term. We want you to know that we 're in the community and that we love you, et etc et etc and we just believed that God was leading us here, but knowing this was a partial step from day one, we were still looking for space right We were still looking for for a long term or a permanent place to put our community. And so after really several years and exploring all kinds of things and coming to some near misses and some really close things in the neighborhood, we just came to a place where nothing was working. And so uh, our elders just kind of said, you know what, we're just going to stop looking and just start seeking the Lord and saying, God, we are more interested in joining you where you are at work than we are about finding a space. So we're done. We just lay it down and we just began to focus On truly following the Lord, and of course, as soon as we do that, God shows up in a remarkable way, and He opens up some doors for us. And as I explained a couple weeks ago, we have uh, been able to reach a lease agreement with the owner of the property on 37th and Western, which is was the old Hoffman's Furniture. We have got 10,000 square feet on the north end of those five buildings. Um, it's the one as you drive down there. You'll see it's got the big mural on the side. That space there, ten thousand square feet, in comparison to about the four thousand usable square feet that we have here, um, will be able to hold us for a long time. All of our growth and movement forward, and all those kind of things, and and essentially we'll be able to do that for the same amount of rent we're uh, we're paying here, which is. Uh, more than remarkable. It's incredible. And we get to stay on Western, and, and more importantly, we get to stay in this community and demonstrate and show this community how we want to serve as a, a launching place to go and reach our neighbors. So that being said, I talked about those things a few weeks ago. That being said, I, I began to really think about how important it was for all of us to understand why we're doing this. Because it's really on, on paper, we could say, well, it just makes some some financial sense long-term to get more space for the same amount of rent, you know, or, or it just makes sense for us to, to move at this point in time. But it's actually much a much deeper thing than that. And, and to, to be completely and totally honest with you, I've wrestled a lot with this idea because, as you'll hear over the next few weeks, this move is going to require a significant amount of, of our involvement. It's going to take this little community and its hundred-ish members to dive into the life of what it means to be the church, to to get out and meet our neighbors, to serve in more than the capacity maybe that you're serving right now, and it's going to call every one of us into a deeper uh, place of commitment with this community, and it's going to call every one of us into a place where we have to look at our resources and say, is this something that we're willing to sacrifice for? And as I started thinking about all those things, I began to think about how important it was for me personally to deeply believe that this is where God was leading us. Because on paper, that's one thing. It's one thing to just go, well, math makes sense, things make sense. But in my heart, I wanted to be able to say, man, Lord, this is absolutely what you're doing in this community. And I wrestled with it, I struggled with it, because of the involvement it's going to take financially, the involvement it's going to take from this community, the challenges that lay ahead. I mean, we're still in all kinds of hurdles with the city, uh, coding, and all kinds of issues, and all the hurdles, and I just wanted to be able to say, God, this is what you're doing. And so I just stopped, and I spent time with the Lord, and I said, God, I need you to open my heart to a vision for this church. Now, a lot of you have been part of churches where you've had vision days or you've had vision castings and they've been, so here's the deal. We are, you know, in the next five years, we're going to open our Family Life Center and we're going to have four services and we want to be reaching 2,000 by whatever. My idea of vision is completely different than any of that, all right? So, in fact, my thought process of vision is almost the antithesis of those things. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks is that we are going to explore from a, a sort of a standpoint that I believe scripture lays out, a vision for this church for the future. And it's not going to be a rapid growth plan. It's not going to be a strategic layout about why our dollar involvement is going to make sense and how we're going to get a great ROI on our investment dollar when we move down there and how we're going to get to a zillion attendees and four services and nine campuses in the next 11 years. None of that. None of it. It's going to be the opposite of that. It's actually going to be a picture of how we are called to come and lay down all of our desires before the Lord And say, God, lead this church. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have desires to have great children's ministry or whatever that is. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the fact that we want to surrender all that we are to the Lord. And so over the next three weeks, I'm going to be casting vision. Because God is doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing in us. This is a pivotal time in our community. And we need to make sure that we are doing all of these things, not just correctly, but for all the deep, right, biblical reasons. And so for the next three weeks, I'm going to be casting vision, not necessarily for the church that we are, but for the church that we feel or that I feel we are called to become. And so uh, we're going to be looking at that. And in your chair, and you can go through this with me later, um, or you can look at it now, but in your chair, there is a copy of that vision. It's the picture of what we're doing and why we're doing it, and it's got three big points which we're going to be covering over the next three weeks, surrender and obedience and spiritual growth, and then those little sub points are kind of explainers, and we'll, we'll get to some of them, but we won't, or, and some of them we won't, but we're going to cover the major topics and explore what it might mean for us to be a church that lived into these categories I'm telling you, this is a different picture. And so for those of you that are like, you've got an MBA and you're a, you're a growth strategy expert or whatever, you're going to look at this and you're going to go, this is not really a vision for who you, know, you want to become as a church from a Western sort of American cultural mindset. And you are exactly right. And I'm glad it's not. It is more a picture of what we see in the Bible for what the church is called to be. And it's going to take some deep commitment for us to become this. And I would much rather be this than anything else. So what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is walking through those things. And we're going to begin in the only place that I deeply believe is acceptable to begin, and that's with the idea of surrender. So we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, I want you to go there. And while we're going there, I want to give you a little bit of a a couple of catch-up definitions. I, I, I realize that we have New people coming all the time, um, and that's just part of the nature of being a young and growing church. We've got new people coming all the time, and so I forget that if I talked about something a year and a half ago, um, then maybe the, a lot of people in our community weren't really there. And One of the things I talked about a while back was sort of what it means and the picture of what it means to be church. and Just by way of making sure we're all on the same page, when I talk about the church we want to become, I need us to all begin at be at the same starting point. Because we come with all kinds of different pictures of church and expectations. Some of us grew up with a great, healthy picture of church. Some of us grew up with a, a broken picture of church. Some of us grew up in mainline, very traditional robe-wearing denominations. Some of us grew up in, in churches where we were somewhat rural or we had Pentecostal roots. Or some of us grew up in giant mega churches. And some of us grew up in a church that was led by my uncle in our living room. Right? So we all bring these different things to the table. But a couple of things that we see in Scripture are very clear about the church. The Greek word for church used almost exclusively in the New Testament is the word ecclesia, And it actually means assembly or gathering. So the church in Scripture, the definition of it is the assembly or gathering of people. So when the people gathered, that was church. In our Western 21st century sort of mentality, church has become a building. It has become something that you can go to and leave. Where are you going this morning? I'm going to church. Where are, you, where are you leaving? I'm leaving church. I hate the church. I'm leaving the church. I'm finding a new church. The idea is that we are attached to spaces, and spaces become a lot of our sort of central driven worship ideas. We put them on postcards. They, we begin to worship space, not intentionally, but through our dollars, through our things. We find space to be part of uh, what draws people, and so function of space in terms of building become and has become the definition of of church, The reality is, church is not something you can go to or leave. Church is who you are. As a follower of Christ, when we gather together, we are the church. We are as much the church when we gather for dinner on Tuesday night as we are the church when we be here on Sunday morning. When you gather with other believers, even if they don't attend church here, when you are gathered with them, you are the church. You are the representation of Jesus Christ to the watching world. We have lost that understanding and therefore church is something that we do and a place that we go and not who we are. So when I talk about church, I'm actually not talking about this space, even that new space or whatever space you're used to. I am talking about who we are as a collective gathered body of Christ wherever that may be, whether it's in the park, whether it's here, whether it's down there, whether it's in your Home for Life group, I am talking about the collected and gathered body of Christ. Now, this is really important because over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about buildings and renovations and dollars and life and activities and how you can get involved in all those things. And it's going to seem on some level like we continue to return to space, but the reality is space is a function And a tool that the church can use to proclaim the gospel and to do active ministry. And that's all it is. It's a function of who we are. It cannot define us or become who we are. And if it does, I want out. Period. So we start at that place. This thing right here gathered together is the church. And you are part of it. There are two ways we refer to the church kind of throughout theologically or throughout history. One is church big C. Which is the gathered church that anybody that has given their life to Jesus Christ over any point in time in geography or history or time is a part of the. Church. It means we are connected with other believers by our common faith in Christ. Our believing friends in China, our believing friends in Guatemala, Bosnia, wherever that is, even right up and down this street, we are connected by a common love and devotion for Jesus Christ. We are part of the church, big C, not separated by denominational lines, worship styles, or whatever it is. Big C. We are part of the church. And we talk about church is in its particular church, Church Little C, meaning this gathered community is a particular movement of the bigger church. So we use the word to represent two things. One, the global sort of a cross-spanning time and and space picture of all Christ followers and this community. And I'm going to be using that word interchangeably, talking about the global, giant, amazing picture of Christ followers that are united together by our common love for Christ and This particular manifestation of that bigger movement, which is what we are when we talk about the Vine Community Church, we are a smaller microcosm, a manifestation of the bigger picture of church, but we are still deeply connected to our brothers and sisters that worship across all denominational lines because of our common love for Christ. This is what we're talking about when we talk about church. I am not talking about something that you can leave or go to or something that we are building or we're going to put resources in or a place that we can hide our chairs. I am talking about You and I, as Christ followers, doing life together. All right, so we've got to start there. Conversation leads us into Philippians chapter 2. And Philippians chapter 2 is really a powerful piece of text. It comes right in the middle of Paul talking about unity. He has spent quite a bit of time in Philippians chapter 1 talking about unity in the church. And he is now going to basically address this gathered group of believers, the church in Philippi, this gathered group of new believers, and he's going to talk about what it means to completely give yourself to Jesus Christ, surrendering our hearts to him, and living lives that obediently fall under his lordship. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and open it. I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to dive in and chase it. And the only place I know where to begin talking about church, and that's with surrendering control into the lordship and the headship of Christ. So let's take a moment, let's pray. Lord, I love this particular gathering called church. Um, I haven't always loved the church, and that's been a deep sin of mine, Lord, that I have struggled with institutional church, and you have convicted me of that time and time again. And Lord, as beautiful uh, of a mess as the church is, it is still yours God, it is still your representation to the world. And, Lord, I pray that whatever background we have with church, whether that's a wonderful thing or whether we are here so disenchanted by church, whatever brought us here, that we could let those definitions fade. And that, Lord, we could truly understand what you're calling us to be as a gathered community, Father. Lord, I pray that that whatever struggles we have, you would speak directly to them, address them, God, show us our flaws and our thinking, Lord. Convict us where we need to uh, be convicted, Father, and challenge us where we need to be challenged. Lord, I pray that your word would teach our hearts this morning and that ultimately what we'd see here is a deep call for our personal surrender to Christ and our corporate gathered surrender to the headship of Christ as leader of this church and the church universal. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to prepare you uh, to teach you this morning, to prepare your heart to hear His word, and to teach your heart this morning, whatever that means for you, just just pray that. Lord, we turn this morning completely over to you. It is yours, Lord. I understand deeply. How important it is, Lord, for us to surrender to who you're calling us to be and not force an agenda uh, on you. But instead, God, to say, Lord, we lead us so that we can follow you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we talk about vision over the next few weeks, and especially this morning, God, that you would make your will known clearly to our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' perfect and holy name. So Philippians chapter 2 is uh, is a really powerful piece of text. Those of you that have been here for the past few years know that I I taught verse by verse the book of Philippians. We spent a little bit of time here. It is uh, offset in your Bible, meaning it's probably in quotes or it looks like a little poem, because it is traditionally thought to have been some type of poem or hymn that was used in worship. Uh, Most likely Paul has inserted it here because it was an important part of the worship life. Of these new churches, or even of the church in Philippi. And it was a powerful reminder of a couple of really important things that we're going to get to today about our personal need to surrender control to the Lord, about living in humility, about uh, understanding the lordship of Christ and doing things for the glory of God. And it was an important piece of text and one that they most likely would have been quite familiar with. And so Paul starts this process out in verse 5 by saying, Listen, church. Your attitude, right, your mind should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant and being, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and heaven, and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, right in the middle of this conversation about unity, Paul pulls out this kind of beautiful piece of text or poetry or hymn or whatever it was, and he inserts it here in a moment. Uh, of, Of A conversation about how the church, the bigger picture of church, is called to be of one heart, to live in unity. And I think that Paul does this because he's showing us the unifying factor with all of the things that we think that are kind of divisive or different or backgrounds that we bring. The unifying factor of the church is that we have a God who made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a human, surrendering in humility, becoming Basically, obedient to death, right? And then God exalted this Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that his name every knee should bow and every tongue confess to God's glory. It's the unifying factors of the church that the gospel is really a gospel of surrender. If I could sum up the gospel message in one word, it would be with the word surrender. We are called to lay our lives. And that's why when we start talking about vision, it begins in this place. It can't begin with us bringing our own desires to the table and saying, God, this is what the church owes me. This is what the church should be. This is what I come looking for. This is what I want. But instead, as a church, we come before the Lord saying, God, what are you doing? Where are you at work? How can I serve you this morning? What do you have for me? And how can I best represent that to the world. I lay myself down. The gospel at the core is a gospel of death, that we are called to come and die to ourselves. What we see in the very beginning of this is Paul saying, listen, as a follower of Christ, your mind should be like that of Jesus, that you should have the attitude of Christ. Now, scholars have actually called this passage the mind of Christ, and it's got two major distinctions. The first one is hu- the humiliation piece The piece where Jesus takes on the nature of a servant. The second piece is at the end, and it's the exaltation, where God raises him up and makes him literally most powerful, right? And that we are called to have this same attitude, that your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. So what is Christ Jesus' attitude? Well, it begins with humility, and it begins with surrendering control to the Father. Now, humility is an interesting word. We've talked about it a lot. A lot of us think that humility means that I don't take credit for things when they happen and people think I do them. So humility means, hey, great job. And I go, oh, it really wasn't me. You know, I didn't do anything. And so I'm being humble. I'm downplaying that. Or some of us say humility means we don't go first in line. You know, when, when we're at a big family dinner, we make sure everybody else gets theirs. Or, or we don't take credit for stuff. But really, from a biblical sense, humility doesn't have anything to do with that. Humility is actually about a recognition. It's a recognition of who God is and who you are in comparison to that. So when we see majestic, mighty, holy, amazing, perfect God, and I know my shattered, broken, sinful disaster of a heart, when I measure those two things together, my only response is humility. That God, in His infinite, amazing love, would take kind of ownership and love of me, broken, sinful person. Humility begins with recognizing who God is and who we are not. And we see that through Christ, who in being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Have you ever thought about this idea, that Jesus in very nature was God? He was there when creation happened, he breathed life into your lungs, created the stars and the trees, and became Human, taking on the very nature of a servant to die and be crucified by the very creation that he made. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. Humility begins in that place when I recognize that God in his infinite, amazing kind of perfection loves me. And that I am nothing apart from him. Humility begins with that understanding and it leads us into a place of surrendering control. What we see Jesus doing is giving up himself for the Father in obedience to the Father. The call to Christ followers one of surrender. And I've preached about this a thousand times. But the biggest tension point that we will have in our, in our lives or most of us will have in our lives as Christ followers is the tension point of control. We long for it and God calls us to give it up. The constant debate and argument and struggle in my own life as a person who loves Jesus is my wrestling with God for control of my life. I want control because it provides the illusion of safety or comfort. As long as I can have my hand on my financial life, on my marital life, on my family, on my kids, as long as I can feel like I'm in control, then I feel somewhat comfortable and safe. But the moment I don't feel like I'm in control, everything goes to chaos and I become incredibly vulnerable and I don't like that. But see, following Christ is a constant challenge to lay down my desire for control, right? So that I can follow and trust Him even when things don't make sense. And the great irony in all this is that there is no such thing as control anyway. It's all an illusion, right? You can't control what's going to happen when you walk out of these doors, I mean, you can plan, and you can prepare, and you can save, and you can do your best to, like, take account of the things you have, but nobody knows what happens when you cross the street. The truth is, control's an illusion, and we're fighting God for something that doesn't exist. Why? Because our insecurities and our own kind of deep brokenness and identity is a longing for something to hang on to, right? And so we fight God for control. It's one of the greatest tension points in the Christian life. And God calls us to surrender it. Our desire for control. To lay it down and just say, God, my life is yours. My children are yours. My financial life is yours. My marriage is yours. My job is yours. Like, I am not an autonomous creature. I want you to lead me. I want you to do what you have for me. As the church We're not exempt from this. We walk into these doors with expectations of what the church owes me. Right? I've got a fourth grader. What do you have for fourth graders? I'm a single. What do you have for singles? And we walk around and we look around and we look for this sort of consumer buffet to say, what can you give me? And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to go find a place that will. And we walk in here and we desire certain things. And we long for certain things. And not all those things are bad, but oftentimes they're driven by our own brokenness and our own deep desire for something else, avoiding our life. And so we think that by finding a church that we can somewhat have control in that outcome, that situation, that thing, it will make my heart better. You should see some of the emails I get about why people don't come back or what they want out of church. And I've gotten numerous emails that as soon as we do this, this family will be back. And you insert whatever you want to in that sentence because it's it's various things from uh, better children's facilities to, you know, you quit talking, whatever. I mean, it's just those things, right? <laughs> Sorry if I just outed somebody there. But uh, the reality is, is that we all bring those together. So the point is this. In order to really be the church and the people that God has called us to be, we have to be willing to surrender our desire for control. And that's really, really hard for me, and I know it's hard for you to say, God, not what I want, but what you want. It's not about our plans for a church and what we think we can do to compare ourselves to the churches down the street or what we think it means to be the church in a Western culture that we have to have a certain number of things and they have to look a certain way or whatever it is, but we lay down that desire for control and just say, God, wherever you That if you want to scrap this whole thing, throw these plans out the door, great. If you want to call us to live mobily and get a trailer and drive around like a bunch of vagabonds, fine. Like, Lord, we will follow you, no matter what that means. It's that level of surrendering control that God has called for your life and that God has called for us as the church to say, you are God. I lay down my desire for control. for a lot of us, it's not even the control. It's just the desire for it. We see that happening in the first part of this text. That Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with something he grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. He became obedient to death. The second thing we see is that we have a deep call to surrender to the lordship of Christ. So we've got a call to surrender our lives of control, our desires for control. But in there, we also have the call to surrender completely to the lordship of Christ. Listen to verses 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So most of us are very much okay with walking in here this morning and saying, Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is Christ, Jesus is Savior. And we'll even articulate the phrase, Jesus is Lord. But I wonder how many of us really understand what we're saying when we say, Jesus is Lord. Because it's an entirely different thing, theologically, than to say, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was foretold about. Jesus is Savior, meaning He has come and He is Redeemer, and to say Jesus is Lord. When we acknowledge Jesus is Lord, we are acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus over the entirety of our lives and over all of creation. To proclaim that Jesus is Lord means that He is in complete and total control of my life and of everything in it. Now for a lot of us, that's a really challenging phrase. We may say it, but our hearts may not mean it. When we say that we are called to surrender to the Lordship of Christ, it means this. It means that God, you are Lord of my life and every single thing in it. It means that I surrender not only my desire for control like we just talked about, but my desire for me over to you. That you are my Lord. Meaning you make decisions in my life. You help me think about What's right, you help govern the way that I I wake up and how I love my family or how I I engage my work. Like you are the decision-making power in my life and I submit completely and totally to your move and your authority all the time. Most of us have a relationship with God where it's like a consultant. We do everything we can as long as things are going great, but when things get complicated, we go to the Lord like a consultant, and we say, God, I I need a little bit of help here because I'm not sure what to do. I've got two choices, three choices, so I just need you to show me which one's right. We pray, we make a decision, we keep going down the road, and we visit God when we need things or need something or we hit panic or whatever it is, and we go at that point in time. But if Jesus Christ is our Lord, if he is truly your Lord, it's in every waking moment, laying down of our lives to the authority and power of God. Most of us don't want to live there because we don't want God involved in our daily lives. We want God involved in the big stuff that we could really screw up. But we don't want God involved in how I think. We don't want really God involved in kind of how I keep my bank account going. We don't really want God involved in the sort of daily nuances of the language that I use, the way that I treat people, or how I engage my coworkers, because it's so different than how I engage people on Sunday, or what I do on Friday and Saturday night. I don't want God engaged in those things. I want to keep God where He belongs in my life. The problem is say jesus is lord it means he gets full access to every corner even those dark broken areas of our heart that we wish no one was there that god becomes the lord of those things jesus becomes lord of even those places in my life and he gets it all all of it as a church called to surrender to the headship the lordship of christ as well meaning this is not my church it's not your church jesus is the head of this church and whatever he says and wherever he leads we will follow period we don't lay out a strategic vision and then invite god into it to say god look what we have planned for the city join us on this movement forward as we lift our banner and proclaim our own glory Instead, we say, God, where are you moving in the city? And how can we join you? God, where do you want us? What are you doing? This may not make sense on paper, but we will follow you to the very ends of the earth. If you've been with us for any period of time, you'd know that we haven't exactly followed all the church planting handbooks for rapid growth. We haven't done all the things. That we should be doing in order to hit 500 by your third year. And trust me, just read any of those books and it's out there. This is not our goal. Our goal is simply to say, God, we give up our lives to follow you. And that where you lead, we will follow in whatever manner that looks like. We surrender to the lordship and headship of Christ. That if we're going to be a church, a true church, the true gathering of people, not just a, a social club that is guided by a few spiritual principles, but a true church that's called to lay down its life, it's going to have to be because we surrender to the headship and lordship of Christ. First and foremost in our daily personal lives, and secondly and as a community. To say, God, it's not what I want. It's not even what I care about. It's what you want and what you care about. It's exactly what we see happening here. God elevates Jesus, exalted to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Let me make one thing really clear. Jesus is Lord whether you want to acknowledge it or not. He is not standing there waiting for us to say, uh, you know, okay, I kind of came to grips with the idea. I believe you're Lord. Jesus is Lord. God has elevated him to the highest place, given him the most powerful name, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Period. He is Lord. We are called to surrender to that truth. He's not waiting, hat in hand, hoping that we'll sing him a song because he's lonely in heaven. He has the authority. All authority has been granted to him. He is Lord of all. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that truth. And our goal as a church should be to make that a daily surrender. That God, you are Lord, and we surrender to that truth. You are Lord, and I surrender to that truth in my own life. Whatever that means for you to lay down that control. As a church, if we're going to truly be a church that says that we are following Christ together, it begins with those two key principles. Surrendering our desire for control our desire for that kind of ridiculous rec- or that ridiculous desire we have to compare ourselves to other churches, our desire for programmatic things and stuff and whatever simply to say whatever you have for us Lord and to lay down our hearts to the lordship of Christ before we can ever do that as a church, we've got to be willing to do it individually. That God's call for you is to die to yourself and surrender to him as Lord of your life and then together Together to figure out how to live that out. Jesus is the head of this church. Everything ends in that text with one line at the end. He says, And every tongue confessed Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' entire life was for God's glory. Everything about it, from from his birth through his crucifixion and resurrection, was all to bring glory to God the Father. In a culture, where most of our desires is to bring glory and attention to ourself, both in the church and outside the church. In a culture that is driven by a social media that says, look at me, like me, affirm me, build my identity. We are called to be the opposite of that in so many ways. In a culture where churches measure themselves against each other by size and stature and space. We are called to be the opposite in the middle of all that. But instead, to say, instead of saying, God, look at us, or world, look at us, to say we exist for God's glory alone. Trust me, if God weren't in this thing, we would have died years ago. Because I am not a good leader. But God is amazing, and he continues to do incredible things, even in spite of our best efforts to s- destroy them with our selfishness. Everything we are as a church should exist for God's glory. Not so that people could say, man, if I can be a church, look at those guys. woohoo!" Nothing. But so the people would say, man, God is good. He took that group of ragtag people, and he's proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ through them in an authentic way. God is good. See, the greatest attribute the Philippians had was not who they were. They were just a bunch of broken people that we're gathered together and we're used as an example of what happens when God gets the glory. In fact, when Paul opens this letter in Philippians, he basically says, I thank God for you. I thank God because I keep hearing about the amazing things that God is doing through you. Our legacy and testimony as a church should just simply be about God's glory. That's it. It shouldn't be about anything else. Now, I know that doesn't sound like that big a deal, but let me be honest with you. When you live in this church culture that we live in, in a city that's got 1,663 different churches in it, we have a real temptation to look at other churches and say, man, look what they've got, or look what they're doing. What a bunch of lies. That's wonderful. We're amazing, but, and, but, and they're amazing, but our desire is just to be authentic to who God is calling us to be. That's it. Nothing more and nothing less but to do it all for God's glory. So if we want to talk about vision and strategies and growth, we're not laying out a plan before the Lord and saying, this is what we're going to do for you. We're surrendering all that, saying, we don't want to be in charge. We don't want to be in control. In fact, we want to die to those things and for you to lead us, Lord. And ultimately in all that, we want you to receive the glory. The vision of who we want to be as a church begins By us dying to our own desires and saying yes to Jesus as Lord. Not a great strategy for growth by the books, but I don't want to be a part of a church that's driven by anything else. So this is where we start. Over the next few weeks, uh, those of you that are regular attenders or members, you're going to have people from our elder team that are going to call you and sit down and share this vision, vision with you personally. We deeply believe that it's more important that we don't just continue to talk about it here, but that you get a chance to hear firsthand the way that we believe that God is calling this church forward. And so elders are going to be giving you a call, mainly just to come and sit down with you with that piece of paper and say, let me explain this to you, because this is how important this is to us. I am not interested in moving and growing for the sake of movement and growth. Not at all. I'm interested in saying, Jesus, what are you doing, and how can we follow you? And it's important to me and to our leaders that this church, this group, this gathering, that you all understand that as well, so that what you're excited about is not the fact that you won't have to sit next to the air conditioner or bump your head when you stand up on the little small roof, right, which is probably reason enough to move, but that you'd be excited about what God is doing and what we believe He's leading us to, and so If they call, please answer. (laughs) Just visit with them. Let them share their heart with them. Don't be like, oh, no, man, they're calling. Come to my house, I dust everything off. It's not ridiculous. Just let us visit with you about what God is doing.